0: What's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson. Welcome back to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a Rockstar business into a UX machine. And we've got a killer guest with us today who's going to talk about really the team uh, and the people part of the UX machine. And he's got a really innovative business that I think you should take a look at that will help us potentially build uh, out our team a little bit faster, better, and retain people. So he's got some great tips for that. But here are the three things that were, that really jumped out to me about this conversation. Number one was, what is the ideal situation for hiring a freelancer. What does that look like? Uh, Number two was what to do in the first three hours of working with a freelancer that's going to make or break that relationship. And then number three, we also talked a little bit about why Nathan opened an office, paid for all of his remote workers to relocate to Florida, show up to the office every day, nine to five, and why he essentially then immediately, as quickly as he could, shut the whole thing down and went back to working remotely. We also talk about how that ties into the UX concept of, of the machine and building something that's fast, fluid, mobile, where we have kind of this inner core of people who are Uh, either partners, employees, or longtime freelancers that are extremely loyal and well-treated. And then we have kind of this outer circle of freelancers who we assume that are going to cycle through our business. And how do we build the systems and how do we build the hiring systems in so that they can cycle through and the business continues on uninterrupted? right? Because we know that's going to happen. We know that people aren't going to stay with us forever. And the more that we plan on it and build the business accordingly, the better and more stable the business will have. And Nathan has some great stuff to share on that. So a little bit about him. He's a serial entrepreneur, started off in kind of the Amazon drop shipment e-commerce space, built a very successful business there, then transitioned over into co-founding FreeUp, which is basically a marketplace for freelancers and virtual assistants, where they actually pre-vet them. Uh, They don't do any out, uh, you know, outside assessments. They don't use the disc. They don't use Myers-Briggs. They have their own like internal proprietary screening vetting system uh, that really goes after attitude and skills um, and not just the skills. right? So we talk a little bit about why that's so important, the attitude uh, and um, the personality traits that go into it and not just the skills. And uh, so... He's got a super interesting background. They have like a no turnover guarantee. So if you hire someone through their company and that person ends up leaving, moving on, having a family emergency, whatever, they're going to do whatever they can to step in uh, and essentially help bear the cost and time and resources of getting someone plugged in as quickly as possible into your system so that you can keep on going. Uh, and so it's a really, really interesting business model and one that I think that anyone that's interested in building a UX machine needs to take a serious, serious look at to use, but also to learn from the principles the nature Nathan shares on the episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. And he's the CEO of free up free with three E's. Make sure to check them out and we'll see you on the other side. All right. Well, officially welcome. We appreciate being here.
1: Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: So I was pumped to talk to you for a few different reasons, but the reason that really jumped out to me when we initially connected was you put together this amazing, what I guess you call like a freelancers org chart. In other words, how to scale up a business with freelancers and exactly where, where they fit in. So tell me a little bit about kind of where that, where that came from and the, the, the brain work and the mental effort that went into creating that.
1: Yeah. So when I first started hiring people, I was 20 and I had no idea what I was doing. Everything that I learned about hiring, I learned from trial and error and making mistakes. And um, I actually hired full-time employees, opened up an office, got rid of that, went back to remote. And when I started FreeUp, I had already had eight years of hiring experience. So I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to keep it remote, keep it with freelancers. And True. as we grew, I had to build this structure and. I mean, some people think you wake up one day and and you just hire 30 people. It doesn't work like that. You get these build teams by solely figuring out how do you get hours in your day back. And a lot Mm -hmm. of those hours of the day are those very easy day-to-day operations, the easy tasks, but that take up a lot of time. So that's where the bookkeeper comes in, the executive assistant comes in, the lead generation when you don't have a huge marketing budget to start. Mm -hmm. And then as you get bigger and you have more of a spending budget, you can add graphic designers, you can add blog writers, you can Mm -hmm. eventually have a marketing person that can run your Facebook ads and drive traffic. So it kind of figuring out how you structure all these people, once you get more than three or four, is always a challenge. So I wanted to figure out a way to actually um, make that mental picture of hey, this is how I these are some options of how I can structure my business, depending on the people.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because, and we'll, we'll include a, uh, the the graphic itself and a link to your website, like in the show notes and stuff. So people can see visually what I'm talking about. Um, I mean, it's very similar to the way that I built out the podcast production team uh, that, that eventually became my business. Uh, I mean, it started with me just literally trying to get back my own time. I'm like, I made sure that I learned the the, like I learned every piece of it myself, uh, so that I knew how to do it. I knew exactly what to expect. I knew how long things took. I knew what the steps were. I knew what the systems were, but I literally almost followed this exact thing, probably in chronological order is the only thing that I don't see on the graphic, uh, in terms of like hiring an assistant first, you know, then you hire, let's say you're, um, like a marketing manager, then a content man, you know, like just the, the idea that there's, there's potentially like an, even a, like a proper sequence of as you scale up the company, like you can have these kind of freelance roles. Uh, and so that, that's what kind of blew me away about, about the level of thought that went into this is ridiculous. And you said, you've got eight years of, of hiring experience. So that that makes 100% total sense. So there's a couple of interesting things about your company that I wanted to ask you about real quick, which is, you guys actually offer a essentially a no-turnover Guarantee, so and and that's one of the, like that's probably the biggest fear. Like, as I've talked to people about doing what I've done, which is essentially building out like an agency team or or even just hiring an assistant to help them pitch uh, themselves on podcasts. Uh, and that is the big fear. It's like, well, what if I train this person and then three months later they they walk right out the door? So it had to be. I mean, you know, you've handled that in your own company, and now you handle it for your clients. So what's the best way to approach that so you don't have that um, that that fear doesn't stop you from hiring?
1: Yeah, I think I posted on Facebook the other day, my top five worst hires. And I think two yeah, I out of the it. five of them um, <laughs> were, were people quitting on me at the worst possible yeah. time. Yeah. Um, after I invested not just the money, but it's the time. It's the time that you can't get back. And yeah. I think that's people's biggest fear. And what happens is they hire someone, they get burned, and everyone gets burned at some point, right? No yep. one has a 100% hiring record but people get scared off and they don't want to hire anymore. They don't want to make that investment. But what you have to realize as a business owner is hiring is the only way to scale. There's very yeah. few $5 million a year solo entrepreneurs out there. They, you have to be able to build teams. And in, in this case with the gig economy, you can do it remotely, mm. but you can't let that turn you away on our marketplace. It's so hard to get in. I mean, we reject 99 out of every hundred applicants we get once mm. they're in we create a community that they want to be there. They want to get more clients from us. They don't want to do anything to get kicked out. And it's a yeah. it's a real opportunity for them. So we have very low turnover. It rarely happens, but it's real life. Of course it could. There's always gonna be that chance. There's nothing I can do to make that chance zero. So yeah. if someone quits, it's gonna be a hassle. There's nothing I can do to make it not even a little bit of a hassle, but what we can do is cover the replacement costs and get you a new person quickly so you don't take a month's uh, steps back in your business.
0: What, what do you wish if, if you had your way, what, what could the clients do, your ideal clients, what would they be doing and what kind of systems would they have that would make that process super easy so that they can have someone that number one plugs in right off the bat and gets up and running quickly. But then if that person leaves or has you know, family issues, health issues, emergency, whatever the case is, somebody else can step in really quickly. What, what's the ideal for you guys that you wish your clients would do?
1: Yeah. So two things. One, I wish they would set expectations better. And it's something we talk about on our blog, on our YouTube channel all the time. Most of the issues come up because you mess up the first few hours with the freelancer, just getting on the same (laughs) page right from the beginning. And that's where down the line, the freelancer is like, I didn't sign up for this. Or down the line, the client's like, you know what, I'm not getting what I want. And all that could have been avoided by just spending a little extra time at the beginning. For me, I mean, I'm a very nice guy to work with, but I'm also a difficult person to work with. I mm-hmm. have very high expectations. So yep. I spend those those initial times and I even give them a chance to back out because I would much rather they back out even if I spent time interviewing them before I actually spend real time and money investing yes. into them. Yep. Um, the other side of it is just having everything documented. I mean, you have to; you can't make anyone in your business indispensable. You have to come up with a system where you can replace people quickly. If it takes you mm-hmm. three months to replace anyone that quits, your business is going to stall out pretty quick and yep. and turnover is going to happen out of the bloom. It, it's not something that you just, Oh, this person's quitting three months from now. A lot of the times it's bam right on you. And maybe if you get a two weeks notice, that's nice. So I'm just really preparing yourself, making sure that things are outlined. I make it the role and responsibility of the actual people to keep the documents up to date and keep, the outline and check. So any kind of transition is as smooth as possible.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I, that I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us come to this conclusion the hard way uh, and I've heard it said by others in more of a traditional, like an employee setting, but I think it's even more true in a freelancer setting, which is that for the most part at the end of the day, the business is going to come down to you and maybe your spouse. <laughs> like that's if you have one, if you're, if your spouse is involved in the business at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's just you and me. And it may just be me if you're not married um, and everybody else in the business will potentially come and go. And the, the way that I've looked at it, cause I'm a big sports fan is, is, to look at it the way that a that Bill Belichick looks at the New England Patriots, which is, look, I've got my key guys. I maybe have Tom Brady. Maybe I have a Tom Brady. Awesome. If I've got that guy, hold on to that person for as long as you can. Everybody else has to be, not expendable, but the system has to adjust and continue on And you just feel, you know, the best team that we can every single day. We don't have an off season where we can recruit and kind of refresh. So like every day is is on for us. Um, But I think the principle holds true. And it's a lot easier, I think, to think of it that way in terms of like, hey, I'm going to have like maybe a very small core group of people around me. Some are employees, some are like longtime freelancers. But then there's this outer layer of people where I plan on them cycling through. And I don't know if that resonates with what you guys are seeing with your clients, but that's what I see going on.
1: Absolutely. And the other side of it is when you find people that you are actually core parts of your business, that it would suck a lot to lose them and you really enjoy working with them, treat them well. What I do is I have a system where we do it by build hours every week. So every time we hit a new milestone, their pay goes up 50 cents, goes up a dollar and mm it's not a ton of money to me. I mean, some of them at this point, they're making 15 bucks an hour when they started off at four, but that also means the business has grown a lot. So I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. Um, but it keeps them around. It would be very hard for them to, to walk away from that opportunity where they've been helping to build this company. They've been growing, their pay's going up. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really hard for them to walk away from. So just putting that, just putting that system in place to reward and keep people. Mm-hmm. Turnover is expensive. I think people don't realize yeah. how expensive it is to really replace good people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're if they're core critical functions in the business, if they're if they're part of of the systems of the business, yeah, it's incredibly expensive uh, and stressful. I mean, and it, and it takes as the business owner, it takes our focus off of where it should be, which is sales and marketing, and puts it squarely back in operations. A lot of the times, uh, which is very. I don't know, dangerous is probably overstating it, but let's put it this way. It does not contribute to growing the business. It takes our eye off the ball off of, off of where it should be. So, yeah, I think there's a, uh, there's a lot to be said for making sure that things are, the people that are an integral part of our systems are treated, treated well, but I'm curious about this. Um, you know, what you're seeing, like the developments, uh, overseas, are you seeing the pay scales change? You know, well, like what for, um, Like, let's take the Philippines, for example. What do you guys see as being their perception of being well paid? um, Let's say by comparison to some of the other opportunities that they have. So uh, the last that I heard, you know, like you were talking about eight to 10 hours, eight to 10 bucks an hour to a Filipino VA who gets to work from home is life changing. Is that still the case?
1: It is. So what we do is we have a marketplace. The freelancers set their own rates. So the market really takes care of everything else. Yeah. And we have some Filipinos that can charge 25 bucks an hour, but they're fantastic developers, let's say. And yeah. a US developer is 75 bucks an hour. So there's always going to be that gap. I don't really have control over the market. It's not like I can just one day snap my fingers and make people get paid more or paid less. Right. It really takes care of itself. Um I would say it's creeping up, but I mean everything's creeping up with inflation, with, with all of that. So I mean, you can get a really solid assistant in that five to seven dollar an hour range, and you always hear people, oh, I got a VA in the Philippines for one to three bucks an hour, and um, that's not something we really offer, only because they tend to be newer freelancers. And the flip yeah. side of it, the set, let's say that we do get someone and they're good and they're willing to work for two fifty an hour, the second they get a higher paying job, if someone offers them seven. Yep. They're just going to jump ship, and that's not good for me. It's not good for the client. So th- there's some strategy involved in that as well.
0: Yeah, well, that's a very valuable lesson for all all people that we work with, uh, not just uh, Filipino VAs. But yeah pay pay them what they're uh, pay them what they're worth. Otherwise, it's only a matter of time until they uh, they jump ship. Yeah, um, Low
1: balling doesn't work. <laughs>
0: lowballing does not work, no, especially if they're doing something that's actually critical in our business. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about working remotely a little bit because you've worked remotely for I don't know how many years, but you had an interesting experience that I want to hear more about. And I think our audience will probably benefit a lot from because at one point you decided to stop working remotely and apparently open up an office. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I started this Amazon business when I was in college. I started off with books, migrated to, I found the baby product industry, which was Mm -hmm. kind of funny because I was a 20-year-old single college guy. (laughs) (laughs) Selling millions of baby products on Amazon every year. That's Um, awesome. But it was a dropshipping business. So I didn't have a warehouse. I didn't have to touch anything. I had no overhead. I had pure freedom and flexibility. And Mm. when I graduated college, I chose to be an entrepreneur and not get a real job. And I was working on this business. And I really didn't like working from home in Stamford, Connecticut. It was more about the location than anything else. Mm-hmm. And when I got an opportunity to move down to Florida with one of my business partners who was getting his MBA, when we got down here, we said, okay, let's open up an office. Let's bring people together. We had a bunch of scattered remote fr- freelancers and employees from all over. Mm-hmm. And we, we actually paid for them to come in and move to the office. And Holy cow! at first it, it was kind of fun. It was like, oh, we're all here together. We've never worked with each other before. This is new. We can run meetings. But what I realized is I kind of created a nine to five job for myself, which was not my original intention. So all of a sudden I was forced to wake up every day and go to work. I couldn't just not show up. People would, people wouldn't get stuff done if I wasn't there. And I also noticed the people that were really happy working remote. Again, it was me forcing them to come in every day. Mm. Then you add in random office drama that no one prepares you for when you're learning about business in school. and. I quickly realized it was not for me, and we had to wait for the lease to run out and stuff like that, but we made it go remote, and I mean, even now, that was probably one of the worst business decisions I ever made. I learned a lot from it, but when I started free up, it was okay, we're keeping this remote. We have no plans to open up an office. Let's see how far we can push this thing just using outsourced people in the Philippines and freelancers from u s and all over to do the higher level stuff, the graphic design, the Facebook ads, and stuff like that
0: yeah. Yeah, that makes it uh, it's interesting because I've got I've got a couple of really good I would call them, I would consider them really good friends and mentors who really, really believe strongly that you have to have an office culture where people show up. And one of them runs an extremely successful multi-million-dollar agency. And he lives here in San Diego and he's got 55 employees back in Nebraska that show up to an office every day that somebody else supervises. And so he kind of found that balance between, between the two. And, uh, but they don't let hardly anybody work from home because they feel like they get better results. Uh, from having people show up to an office. So it's interesting that you had like the opposite experience. I feel like if I did that, I would have that same experience because I don't want to show up to an office from nine to five any more than anybody else does, but I'm probably more averse to it than the average person. Uh, And it's interesting that like what, when you, when you disconnected, you let the office lease run out and you go back to working remotely. Did, was it just the burden on you that changed or did the actual, did, did the running of the business, did it get better, improve? Like what changes did you see when you went back to remote?
1: Yeah. So I was also in the period where I kind of transitioned out of Amazon to FreeUp. So mm-hmm. I had had that experience with the remote culture a little bit, and I had known what worked and what didn't work and how to run remote meetings on Skype instead of having people in in person. So when we built FreeUp from the ground up, we kind of had that remote mentality from the beginning. And everyone knew it was remote. They knew it wasn't changing, but they knew that the expectations were still high. The communication still had to be there. The stuff still had to get done, whether we were we were over your shoulder watching you or, or you were out on your own with just a due date. So I think we were able to really just establish that up front, And I think it also made people relax a little bit because some of the people from the Amazon business were are also on free up and they kind of knew that we weren't going to be flip-flopping back and forth. Okay, we have an office. We don't have an office. It was, hey, we're remote with no plans to change.
0: Yeah. And what have you found just out of curiosity on... Because one, I guess one of the underlying like big, like massive trends that I see in the economy that's kind of changing and and creating all these really cool new opportunities is the fact that it's a lot easier for us to tell now within, within a business, even in the corporate world, what produces results and what doesn't like what, what really adds value and what doesn't. Um, But from your perspective of running like your Amazon business and stuff like that, where you're actually hiring a a lot of people, um, what did you find? What are, what are a couple of the things that you found that have worked to help track and hold the results accountable, and link them to the time that you know things should take, especially when you get a little bit disconnected. Because it's easy right in the beginning, when you first hand off a task that you're, you've you done yourself, and you know how long it takes, you know what the result be, would be. But the further you get removed from that, I feel like the, the, the easier it is to just be disconnected. Um, how, do you, how do you account for that? And how do you make sure that what you're when you hire somebody, they're getting the, the results that you should expect?
1: So what we do is we focus on low risk, high reward situations. So for example, I just hired someone to run my Instagram. I just hired someone to run my Twitter. It's a few hundred dollars a month. What's the worst case scenario? After three months, I I realize it's not worth it. And I've lost 600 bucks. I'm not homeless. And what's the best case scenario. They do a great job. They're growing my brand. I'm getting followers. I'm getting clients, which it's already started to do. And it's one less thing that I have to do. So, a lot of it is that low risk, high reward situation. We're at a time where, yes, you can measure results, but it's also incredibly challenging. I mean, what works for one business doesn't necessarily work for another business. You have so many just on social media alone. I mean, you got LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. So you can't just attack all of them at once, especially if you're bootstrapping companies like me and you have gurus and courses teaching all these different things, but they don't apply to every single business in the world. So You have to try to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And whatever works, you put more money, you put more time into, or whatever doesn't work, you pull back on it. And yes, you can have metrics for Facebook ads and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I almost look at at it like, hey, if you're doing one thing, it means you're not doing something else. And you need to figure out what the best use of your time and resources are.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So that makes total sense. I mean, I don't know that everything that everybody would want to hire a freelancer for falls into, the, falls into that category of low risk, high reward. Sometimes it's high risk, high reward, which is, you know, uh, and in those cases, I feel like there's probably uh, us as the owner probably need to do a better job of putting the metrics together uh, in advance that help them, you know, help us and help them know exactly what the expectations are. Um well, one of the final questions for you. So going back to the Amazon business and all the hiring that you did as, as part of it that now led to what you're doing now. In retrospect, what do you think was your like, superpower, your X factor, that, that strength that you had that translated into the ability to hire people and, and build a team of freelancers effectively?
1: So basically what we realized early on is hiring people just for skill doesn't work. (laughs) You get someone with a really good resume or a bunch of references and you think they're awesome and you hire them and it doesn't work out and you wonder why. So what we realized is we had to focus on the attitude and the communication as well. And I think that's what we've done a really great job of in our hiring process. We want people who have a great attitude or who are passionate about what they do. If I hate bookkeeping, and I'm sure you do as well, If I hire a bookkeeper, they need to love bookkeeping as much as I love being an entrepreneur. They have to come in with a smile on their face and want to be there and want to be part of the community or the team. And with communication, I mean, we have 15 pages of communication best practices that I wrote myself based on my own hiring experiences that they have to memorize and get tested on to get through our process. So I think that's really what has separated us because... So many people are still hiring for skill. It's all about skill. What talent, what background, what experience do you have? Where We're like, okay, skill is just one of three things that we have to see before you get in. And just by getting people that have that trifecta of skill, attitude, and communication, you're eliminating 95% of the hassle right there.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. How how do you guys, just out of curiosity, is there any certain assessment tools or anything that you guys use that you really like?
1: (laughs) It's all all stuff that we've created. So we... A lot of our interview—they're really traps. If you think about it, you're trying to find red flags. What is this person saying that shows they don't have a good attitude? For example, you can challenge someone. How do you? How does someone handle actually getting challenged? Do they get aggressive? Do they get defensive? Mm. Are they calm? Do they? Do they problem solve it and work it through? Just figuring out. Hey, what is this person saying that shows? Hey, they don't have the skill they say they have. They don't the attitude. They don't have the communication. Right. But no, we we don't know use any of the, the tests that you can purchase right now. We we really built our own hiring system. That's
0: interesting. All right. Very, very cool. Um, okay. So what's the best way for people to reach out and connect and learn more?
1: Yeah, so if you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar is right at the top. You can book a free meeting with me, create a free account, uh, mention Matt's name, get a $25 credit added to your account to try us out. You can find us all over social media, um the FreeUp YouTube channel, free up blog. Um, Real Nate Hirsch on Twitter and Instagram and yeah, I look forward to helping a lot of you with your hiring needs
0: Awesome. Well, maybe we'll get you back on and, and delve a little bit into how you initially grew the company because I've got some other questions about that But, uh, but I really uh, appreciate it
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for having me
0: Now I believe that clarity releases energy So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done-for-you podcasting service Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market. Something that you can take away, whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.